Back in 1994, Mariah Carey went into the Hit Factory recording studios in New York on West 54th, and she recorded a Christmas album featuring a song called All I Want for Christmas is You. It really has become one of the most iconic Christmas songs of our generation. And my buddy Brian Vibberts was there for the entire project. I was able to catch up with Brian and hear how he wound up working with Mariah. Are the rumors really true? Is she a diva? Is she difficult? What was it like working with the one and only Mariah Carey? My name is Brad Sundberg, and this is In the Studio, the podcast. Hey guys, how are you? It's Brad Sundberg, and we are in the studio. Today, we're, we're talking to, uh, I hate to say the word old, but, but he's an old, <laughs> old, a, old <laughs> a, a dear old friend of mine from, we first met in 1994 on a project with Michael Jackson. But today I have my good friend, is it six time Grammy award winning? It is six time, but just a couple of weeks ago, um, I, I was notified that I am nominated for number seven. Wow. So we'll see. Wow. <laughs> Fingers six, crossed. Six, uh, uh, six time winner and another nomination, Mr. Brian Vibberts. Brian, it's always good seeing you. How you uh, been? It's great to be here. It's great to be here. What, I've been what good. A, good. What a weird, crazy year it's been for everybody, but... We, we did a couple things over the summer, but this is my first official podcast. We're, we're going to kick this thing off, and there's no one I'd rather have on the other microphone than you. So um, th- I'm, I'm honored. Well, thank, thank you for doing it. So I sometimes call him Vibberts. I sometimes call him Dr. Vib, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're just going to see how this goes. Vibberts, tell me, I, I know your story, but I, I, I think a lot of people would love to hear it. Um, how did you get into the music industry and, and into recording specifically? I started playing drums when I was eight years old. So, you know, the music goes way back. Of course, at that point, I wasn't thinking about anything about recording. But uh, flash forward, you know, in, in, in high school, I did like the choir and the, and the marching band and the, the stage band and that kind of thing. So, you know, I was always kind of involved with music. But then in high school... Uh, I was in, you know, just the the normal, you know, rock band. And we wanted to go into the studio and record two original songs. So we talked to a teacher that was one of the high school teacher that was an uh, like extended learning program teacher. We had to write it up, say what we wanted to do, what we would learn from it. And actually the, the school paid for half of it. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so that was my first time going into a recording studio and what, I was playing the drums and then we had, um, uh, we had guitars and keyboards and, and vocal. Wow. Where, where, where was that? That was in Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. Do you, Portland. Do you remember the name of the studio? Uh, Pinebrook. Okay. Recording studio. Yeah. Was it 24 track? Uh, 16 track analog two inch yeah nice. and i was i was like amazed that it was actually a very nice studio uh only one room 
um, you know, you know, you know, one control room, one studio. So it was very simple. It wasn't like a, a multi-room facility, but you know, having a 16 track two inch there was, was awesome. Of course, somewhere actually, I still have that actual really? two inch tape. Yeah. Oh, you have <laughs> yeah. the actual tape. I have the actual tape. I, yeah, I was able to get it after. Cause we had to buy a reel of tape, bring it with us. <laughs> they recorded at the end, <laughs> they gave it to us and we're like, what are we going to do with this? Right. <laughs> you know? But what happened was after, after, you know, recording a song, everyone, of course, the whole band goes into the control room and to listen, to see, was that good enough? Or, you know, uh, after playing a few takes and being in the, the control room and seeing what was happening there, that's when it really sparked my interest of like, wow, what's like, look at all this stuff, you know, like the, right. the console, the, you know, I didn't know what any of it was, uh, you know, very basics, but just like simple things like, you know, the guy putting a delay on the guitar solo and that kind of thing of just like creating, he was like, you know, creating more sound in the control room after it was already recorded. And I was like, wow, this is, this is, you know, so cool. And uh, that's really what sparked it. That was the first studio, uh, you know, I was in, I believe I was a junior in high school. Wow. Yeah. So that, that planted the seed. So where'd you, where'd you go from there? From there, you know, that, that was kind of, yeah, more and more I would, that was in the back of my head, but really I was going for, uh, to be an astronomer and work for NASA. That was, that's the, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I was applying for colleges, I was applying for colleges that had a, an astronomy major with a music minor. How do you like that? <laughs> that's, that's a strange combo. I mean, I mean, that's just pure science and art. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so I ended up going to UMass Amherst for one year and that's what i was doing i was i was um you know i was doing the astronomy as a major with music as a minor but a a key point of what happened just before i graduated high school was that the space shuttle challenger blew up that was january 28th 1986 i graduated in 86 high school Mm -hmm. and then the next fall i started at umass well at that point nasa was shut down there um and it actually was shut down for uh, a little over two years right nothing nothing was happening so you just imagine now like i'm a, I'm a, a freshman in college going to what seemed like i had to get a doctorate to be able to be hired for nasa that's what i was told i don't really know if that's accurate but that's right. what i was told so i'm thinking okay there's this long stretch of of uh you know, college years that I have to do and the place that I wanted to work, which was NASA, which was closed. Right. I'm like, maybe I just need to rethink this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And I thought, all right, let me just make m- my uh, music minor become a major. I'll just major in music and I'll switch it. Okay. And uh, so then I transferred to Berkeley College of Music got my bachelor's degree there. And then of course, you know, back into the, back into the studios uh, at Berkeley and doing that. But you know, when I was at UMass, I was taking some very cool classes, like the physics of music. Right. 
so that because I was taking some music classes, but you know, obviously I had a lot of heavy science going on. But I, there was a there was a class that I took that was called the physics of music. So That's it was awesome. like waveforms and um, you know waveforms in the air and and the water and different uh, temperatures of there. I mean, it got pretty deep, you know. Right. Uh, but you know, there were things that I learned at UMass that that also helped. Now you, you, you just sort of, uh, you blasted by one line really quick and you said, so I just transferred to the Berkeley school of music. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> for, for people that, that are not in this world. I mean, that's, that's the premier music school in the U S is it not? Yeah. Yeah. So and I, mean, I had to, I had to, you know, I had to make an audition tape. I had to go through that whole process uh <laughs> i mean it's a I'm, no but i mean i mean in all seriousness do you, mm. do you know the numbers of how many people apply versus how many oh. actually get in i mean it's a oh, tough it's low yeah it's under it's under 10 percent. wow i mean yeah. that's that's amazing that's really it, cool it, and what happened is at that point i don't know if it's still like this now but at that point I'll, kind of more people were accepted for the major, which was music production and engineering. That was my major. Um, more people were accepted for the major as a freshman than actually could fit in the program. Really? Because they knew that certain people would drop out after the first year. They knew that also um, people may switch into another uh, major. So there were a lot of people then that, uh, kind of filtered out in that first year. Okay. There's how, a lot of basics of recording in that first year. How tough was it? Uh, some things were tougher than others. Uh, for me, I was coming from, uh, you know, that scientific background. So when I had classes on digital audio, that, I mean, I didn't feel that that was that difficult for okay. me. Um, and I took some like film scoring classes and conducting classes and I was taking all that stuff, which became very important later, which, which I didn't realize at the time, but, uh, it really helped later on in my career, knowing that information, but some of the stuff that I, you know, to be honest, that was really a little bit tougher for me was I had to keep taking lessons for my instrument, which is drums. Right. And that's not what I was going there for, you know, so I'd be in a jazz drumming class with people that were like <laughs> jazz drummers. They've been playing their whole life. And I'm just like, okay, let's just kind of keep that hand, you know, going steady on the, right. on the ride cymbal. While I, do this. I mean, you know, for me playing drums, my favorites are, are like progressive rock funk and, um, and like a big band swing sound. Those are the three that I, that I really get the most enjoyment playing okay. drums. Hmm. So this is like straight ahead jazz right. kind of thing, which that, it just wasn't my thing. So I had but, a little bit of a tougher time in some of those classes just because, you know, that wasn't my priority of being there, but I had to keep doing those classes and, you know, passing those. But, but would she, I mean, I know you've done a lot of work with Chick Corea, uh, mm -hmm. in subsequent years. I mean, would, yeah. is there some, some, uh, connection there that maybe you understand what he, what someone like that is doing more than another engineer might not? Yeah, probably, uh, because of having that background in 
in jazz theory and 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 composition. All right, so you graduate Berkeley. Uh, the world is your oyster. Uh, where, where do you go? What happens next? Well, I'm in my last year at Berkeley. I was working at a studio called Syntex Recording Studio, mostly a MIDI studio, although we did you know, a lot of uh, vocal recording, but uh, it was mostly a lot of MIDI. And I, actually, it was a pretty complex MIDI setup. Okay. Keyboards all over. It wasn't, it wasn't um, uh, like synth, just like synth sounds. The actual synthesizers were all over the room and wired up. So, right. <laughs> uh, but so I was you know, working at a studio there just as an intern, not getting paid. And until one day I just finally went to, into the owner and said, do you think I could get paid doing this? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, sure. How much you want? <laughs> uh, I was like, first I was like, oh, okay, well that was easy. All I had to do was ask. Why didn't I ask like a couple months ago? Right. And then, uh, and then uh, so I was like, well, I don't know. How about, you know, hundred dollars a week because that was like part-time i just go to, he's like okay no problem <laughs> so then i got paid a hundred a week for whatever hours i worked <laughs> so so and that's still your rate right you'll you'll uh... yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh so uh I, I knew that really what i wanted to do i couldn't stay in boston i, I wanted to go to priority was new york with the possibility of going to Nashville, but you know, I, I grew up in Connecticut, so I wanted to be closer, closer to home, closer to family. Okay. So, uh, so I chose New York. So I was, um, I was, I was going from Boston to New York, trying to get some, you know, some jobs <laughs> in a studio. Right. So I would go down there and, you know, talk to people, uh, at different studios to try to get a job but nobody would say yes because i didn't live there which is something i ran into you know several times even when i re relocated to la they wanted me there right already and it's like well okay how do you move to new york city and and you know get an apartment when, when you don't have you a have job. No job yeah right. it's it's, <laughs> it's not easy so i went you know i had gone to the hit factory uh first and they they said no they they basically wouldn't hire me and, and unless I was there. But, but, you know, they liked what I had to say and I could come back at any time. And you know, it's just kind of like, a, a, everyone was a big, maybe. Right. Yeah. Maybe we'll hire you. Yeah. Yeah. Everything looks good. Maybe we'll hire you. Okay. Who'd, who'd, you, who'd you interview with at hit factory? I don't know if it was, it could have been Troy. Okay. It could have been Troy. I'm not sure. Troy, Troy Germano, the owner. Troy son. Germano. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It could have been him. But okay. I, I I could have seen someone else though before seeing him is a very you know, possibility. Okay, you know that was that's going to be nineteen ninety one. So you finally got hired by Hit Factory. But before that, Right Track. I was at Right Track uh, recording first. Okay. So what happened was they said, "Yeah, maybe we'll you know see what happens. We think it looks good and all that." And I was like, "You know, okay." They said, move down here, come see us when you're here. So I thought, okay, I just need to go there. Right. I just need to move from Boston to New York because I was getting the same, you know, the same, right. same response from everyone. So I, um, I moved down there uh, to, I actually lived right on the other line, you know, into Jersey City, 
which is right across the river um, from New York. I had the New York skyline looking out the window. And I went in on Friday and they said, and I said, I'm here now, you know, to right track recording. They said, great. Okay. You can start Monday. Wow. Like, okay. <laughs> so just, that's how fast it was like, bam, bam. A quick funny story about that is on the Sunday before, I mean, I knew nothing about New York. You know, <laughs> I grew up in a very small town. Of course, Boston was a, a very good stepping stone because right. it's a bigger city, but now I'm in New York City. So I thought I need to learn the subway system. Like, I don't even know how to get there. Right. So I, I went, uh, if I took the path train, anyone that's, that's, uh, that knows New York City area, you have to take the path train to get from New Jersey into the New York subway system and then change trains. Right. There's only two trains, <laughs> one that goes to 34th street, which is the one that I wanted. <laughs> and then the other one goes to world trade center. Way That's down. the one I got on. <laughs> so I didn't on, know. <laughs> on your first day. And this is the, this is the Sunday before. And there's a good okay. lesson here because I thought, you, let me do a dry run. You did a practice. Yeah, because then I'll know how long it takes to get to the studio. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Well, I, I, I ended up at World Trade Center, uh, you know, underneath the, the Twin Towers at the time. I, I walk up out of, the, out of the system, subway system, and there's a guy selling hot dogs. And I said, which direction is, is 54th Street <laughs> or four, uh, 48th Street? And that's where right track is, 48th Street. And he looked at me like, what? 48th street i'm like yeah what direct like which way is north because you know, i had no idea what's going on right. i'm like the, i'm like at the tip of manhattan <laughs> i'm not even numbered streets yet <laughs> it's not even first street like i'm way down a one like, hour walk yeah and he's like well okay just like that way I'm like, right. okay thanks and i start walking and he's looking at me like this kid's nuts you know? <laughs> because I, and literally that's what I did. I had no idea how far it was. I walked from World Trade Center wow. all the way to 48th Street, which gave me absolute. First of all, it gave me absolutely no idea of how long it would take to get to the studio because I took right. the wrong train, and I still didn't know what train to take. So, <laughs> but That's I did. Awesome. I did kind of take a correct train on the way back, so I did learn a little bit there. But luckily, I did that dry run, and then Monday I started at Right Track. And it was right into, you know, right track recording is world-class facility. So now I'm, I was starting at, and this is something that I've always thought was, was important for my career is starting at a big studio. There's nothing like the, you know, there's nothing like working in a studio, right? but you know, the world-class studios, it's just a whole different animal. When I had arrived there, um they had just finished with the rolling stones and they had just finished recording the yes album the yes union album which was um all of the members of yes got together you know there, there's been a lot of different members right. of yes they all got together and, and did union so those are the things that had just finished and then soon after uh, mariah carey started there so i mean oh, it was just like everybody was was that was there um it was just a very interesting time because it was there were two rooms studio a and studio b and each room had you know huge people in it and i was just like this is the place that i you know that i need to be 
and that's where I was. It was it was awesome. Now, not not to get too geeky, but uh, what kind of consoles did Right Track have? SSLs. They were all SSL. Yeah, New York was an SSL city. Yeah, and and Right Track was always kind of on the leading edge of like the newest consoles. Uh, Simon, the owner, really he really stuck his head out a lot and got like the latest and greatest, you know, it, it, with consoles. Okay. Which, uh, was always very, very cool. So did you have any, uh, any disaster sessions, any horror stories at right track? <laughs> uh, let's see. Horror stories. I'm not, um, well, so to, to give you the perspective of what was going on. All right. I got a, a bachelor's degree from Berkeley College of Music. And then I start at Right Track, but I start at the entry level with okay. other you. people that didn't that you know that didn't um, go to college, didn't have music knowledge, some straight out of high school. And I was like, what is happening? You know, like uh, this something's not right. But that's how everyone started. Okay. So were because you, there's uh, there, there's so much to learn with this with you know, in a studio and studio etiquette and all that. So I was, uh, what they called the general assistant. Okay. Like a runner. Right. But not for long because they realized I knew what I was doing and that was the difference. And that's not what I would, I, I didn't have that in my head at first. I, you know, it was, it didn't take long for me to start getting into the rooms because they knew what I was doing. Right. So, um, I would start filling in as an assistant engineer when the other assistant engineers either someone called in sick because they couldn't do it or, or someone had been awake like all night long as an assistant and they needed someone to kind of start the session or do the session for a day so that's I, I was kind of going in then you know after after several months of being there but you know I would go in sit on you know not, not really sitting in on a session I was doing the session I okay. was the assistant engineer 24 track studers two two twenty four track machines in each studio so you mentioned you mentioned Mariah and we're going to be talking mm -hmm. about Mariah in a few minutes. Which Mariah project was she working on at right track that was uh m t v unplugged oh wow okay. so m t v unplugged was was uh recorded actually i don't i don't know where it was recorded i don't know if that was in in Brooklyn like the proper show with audience and all that. It was recorded somewhere else. That, that yeah. wasn't done at Right Track. But at Right Track, um, we you know kind of spruced it up a, a little bit and, and made it into a show. Because there were songs that didn't get used that were uh, recorded. There's always more recorded than get used on the actual show. So you need to you know have edit from one song into another and you know whatever else. Okay. So, so I was actually working on I'll Be There. <laughs> Which is right, which is wow. funny. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 actual un, the actual recording was done over in Brooklyn, probably on a twenty four track, something like that. Yeah. And then they bring it over to you guys. You didn't go to the shoot. No, no, I wasn't there. Okay. They bring it to you guys, you sweeten it up, edit it. Is there right. any any overdubs or anything? Uh some. You're oh see now now we're now we're <laughs> We're popping the, the, the bubble of illusion. Um, so you know, if, if someone's good, if someone uh, makes some kind of, you know, small mistake or something, if it's a bad note or a bad chord, 
uh, you know, of course people want to have that fixed. Right. You don't want to have that in the, in the final product. So Mariah that's, came that's and kind of a, you know, everyone, everyone does that. Okay. So Mariah came and, and redid some vocals. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of that. Okay. <laughs> that's, pretty, <laughs> that's the vaguest answer to a question I've ever had in my life. <laughs> There may have been some. <laughs> but it was Mariah that came and actually oh. sang Mariah's vocals. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Just just making no, sure. No, no. No, Mariah was there every day and and uh and, and like Trey Lorenz was there. If you remember, you know, he was on on that song. Another great singer. So how I mean for that show, what that was a the the MTV unplugged stuff, because you worked on a bunch of those, right? Yeah. Did you yeah, work on the Nirvana one? You worked with Nirvana, right? No, I didn't work on the Nirvana one. I did Alice in Chains. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so the MTV Unplugged was released in June of 92. Okay. So that was, you know, that was happening, like, you know, fairly soon after I got to Right Track. So right. that was the first time, you know, I worked with Mariah. Okay. So just for people that, that don't know the, the, the backstory... If MTV Unplugged is a one-hour show, and I've watched, I haven't watched one in a long time. Now you're kind of mm. making me want to go back and watch a few of them. They would do the recording over in Brooklyn, right? Uh, or wherever. It, was an, it wasn't always the same place. Okay. But, and anywhere where there was a, like a big enough place to have an audience right. in there. Yeah. And Because later on, they were done at Sony Music Studios. Okay, on 54th. Yeah. That's right. Okay. But not, but not the uh, Mariah Carey one. Right. But something like that, I mean, it's probably going to be take after take after take for the live audience. I mean, it's going to be, I'm assuming, a few hours of of recording. Well, usually what they do is they run down the show once. They might, you know, like kind of, uh, you know, all the all the songs. They might run down the song twice, possibly. Usually not. Usually they they just perform it as the show. Okay. And then there'll be, of course, there'll be a few songs like, you know, the latest single or whatever they want to be uh, a highlight of the show. They want to make sure that that is a great performance. So they might do that a second time or a third time. Um, usually not more than three. Okay. All right. But so yeah, they're not doing like take after take of one song and then go to the next song, take after take. They, they don't do it like that. I think just for the audience. Sake, right. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, that, well, that's, that's, that's actually good to know. Um, mm. So then they bring it in, they give it to you guys and you're going to be sweetening it for a couple days, three, four days for a show. Uh, a couple weeks. Really? This is the, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, it's, Mariah Carey and it's she even at that time she was a huge artist then so you know they have to make sure that everything is as as great as it can be I mean I'm I mean I've been involved in some projects like that mainly with Michael but uh uh, I mean a couple weeks to for post-production for a one-hour show just the audio yeah okay wow I, I didn't know that. Mm. So what was, so the first time you met Mariah, um, she's a huge star. She's beautiful. What, what, what's she like? Uh, you know, I, she kind of shy, actually. It's a little weird to hear, but you know, I, 
I, I've worked with her on several projects, but we'll talk about this one right now. But that first time, it was kind of shy. Um, and then, of course, you know, there was people around her, manager and her, her, her assistants and all that that just kind of, <laughs> you know, made sure that people didn't get uh, too close or, you know, whatever. I don't know. You know, they're, they're just doing their job. But uh, she was always very nice. Yes, very beautiful. Just a nice nice person i never had any kind of uh issue with her ever actually uh, you know but in those in, the, in those days it was just kind of like okay now i'm in the big time you know coming out of college and you had to use the proper studio etiquette even if you were just like wow you know you you, you could be that on the inside but on right. the outside you had to be like okay i'm here to do my job right and what needs to be done and try to think of what needs to be done before someone tells you that something needs to be done. You, you know, right. if, you, if you're kind of thinking ahead, that's when people in the session and in the studio like you a little bit more because you're, you're planning in advance, you're ready for anything. Okay. So I'm going to ask just really dumb questions, but uh, I'm, I'm good at that. How, how'd she dress? I mean, is she, is she dressed up? Is she? Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. From what I remember, she she always looked uh, very nice, very stylish. Yeah, she always looked you know very good, like you know hair done up and all that. You have to remember all the all the people in the studio as well, other musicians, uh, some other writers, producer, are all there as well. I'm, I mean, I'm sure she wants to you know always look good for everyone in the in the session and, right. and for herself. Right. So yeah. So, but, but, but it's a posse. I mean, when she shows up <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you and I, you know, we, we both, you know, spent so much time with Michael Jackson, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, does she, she's got security. There's people that are getting there before her. Does she... uh, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that crazy yet with like security. Yeah. Well, there wasn't like security and that kind of stuff, but like those kind of people that would be checking that would be her assistants, you know, okay. one or two personal assistants making sure everything's ready, you know, before she arrives and does she have a rider? Is there, you know, do you have to have a certain type of tea on hand or? Yeah. Yeah. Actually there's like a certain type of popcorn and really. Yeah. And tea (laughs) popcorn was her favorite snack. That's for sure. Yeah. There had to be like a exact kind of popcorn. I think it was the Newman's own blue box. I think that's what it was, if I remember correctly. But yeah, we always had to have that on hand and Uh, and uh, like microwave. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the and the little um the honey bears, you know, the bears (laughs) that are filled with honey. We had to have those uh, for the tea, and we had to have like uh, two. I think there's two different specific teas, mostly for for you know for singing. And okay. for, you know, coating the throat and everything, but yeah, a bunch of like snacks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, every right. day. But she's easy to work with. Yeah. I think if you, if you know what you're doing, then yeah. Okay. So okay. after right track, then I went to the hit factory. So I was at, at right track for uh, about a year and a half before going to the hit factory in New York city. Okay. So what, so when did you start at hit factory? Hit Factory would have been March of early 93. Yeah. Okay. Now, was that, now I already know the answer to this question, but I want you to describe it a little bit. Uh, what I call the two Hit Factories. Um, I have my own description, 
but but I want to hear yours. Just kind of describe what the two buildings are like. Right. Well, the original uh, building, well, I can't really call it, 237 was, uh, it wasn't the original Hit Factory uh, building because that was in another location, but that was the older building, call it that. That one had a, a certain vibe to it because it originally was the old Bell Sound Studios. So it was a studio before the Hit Factory moved into there. Oh, I didn't and it know just that. Had, yeah, and it just had like an, uh, um, I don't know, like an older, older vibe, older studio vibe, not quite as technical as what we were calling the new building because when I was there, there was only the one building and they were building the new facility and then both of them were open. I was there during those years, the kind of the transition, but both buildings became operational at the same time. So we had like the old building and the new building. The, the older building um, was a little bit more of the, the rap crowd and I, there was still like major, major artists in both buildings but it, the other one just had a funkier vibe not, okay. not quite as clean and pristine looking as the new building right was what you know when that was built it it was you know it spared no expense on that one <laughs> but know? in the old building i mean isn't that i mean that's where john lennon worked uh paul simon yep is that where stevie right. did uh songs in the key of life or he did some work there I believe so. Yeah, I know he did it at the Hit Factory. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if it, it was that exact building. It could have been. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then, and and yeah, when I go to the old Hit Factory or when I went, because um, that's where Bruce and I, that was the, my first time at Hit Factory would have been, man, '88. Mm. Um, we were at the old Hit Factory doing uh, prep for Michael doing the Grammys. So we were there doing the man in the mirror and uh, blah, 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 the way you make me feel um, kind mm. of the, the Grammy versions of those. And I can't remember what room it was, but it was what second or third floor in the old building. I remember kind of like white plaster it seemed like the, the hallways were kind of narrow and I seem to remember like, you know, arches and plaster because I'm from LA, so it's a whole different vibe than you would find in a lot of LA studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the thinner hallways, a little bit darker vibe. I don't even know how they got some of that equipment down there. I mean, how you push yeah. a 24 track Studer down some of those hallways, it had to just barely fit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Then they open up the new fit Hit Factory, 421 West 54th Street, and you did you kind of start there or i mean they, they moved you there yeah yeah i was doing a lot of the the beginning sessions at the new building yeah okay and that's when you and i first well soon after that in early 94 is when you and i first met working right. on uh on michael's album that's right so all right so i i i'm probably missing my timeline but you worked with Billy Joel? Yep, that was in 93. And that was in the new building at the Hit Factory. Okay, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on Billy, but but what, what was that like? What, what's it like working with Billy Joel? You know, that, that was really an incredible project. There, there's certain uh, 
like milestones in my mind that I would hit along the way. And Billy Joel was definitely one of them because that was, I'm not sure if it was the first, but it was one of the first where I was on the session from beginning to end. Because, uh, and I say that because sometimes it gets recorded somewhere else in another studio. Right. Uh, wherever, you know, and then it comes to the hit factory, you know, at that time. And then we do overdubs and mix. Or maybe we do recordings there and then it goes to LA to mix. So, you, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. this was like the first one, which was River of Dreams, that album. And it was it was like a you know beginning to end so to me that was it always sticks out to me as uh, such a a very cool project because of that reason you know seeing the whole entire thing happen from from tracking to then adding you know more instruments to it and then to the mixing stages okay how long how long does it take billy to make a record like that it it was several months um I'd have to really think about how long it took, but it was several, several months. Is, is he there every day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was one of the cool things about Billy is, uh, and another highlight I think is we, the, in the beginning we'd have the weekends off. So, you know, we start again Monday. I'm the first one there getting everything set up. And <laughs> actually sometimes Billy would get there before everyone else. Hmm. Um, so he could practice and warm up. So, so he, Billy would arrive and I would be there and you, you know, like, Hey Brian, how's it going? I'm good. He's like, how was your weekend? It's like, good. And then he looks at me like, well, I mean, like, what'd you do? <laughs> and, 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 I, and I thought, Oh, like this isn't small talk. He, he really wants a real answer, huh. which I didn't expect. And, and, it's kind of rare. I, I mean, I feel like it's kind of rare when talking to an artist one-on-one that there, you know, he, he really did, you know, want to know <laughs> it, it wasn't small talk. I thought, that's cool. Wow, that's, that's very cool. You know, because it was one of the first times that really had happened. Right. Where it was like a real conversation okay. with, you know, a superstar. Right. Um, so Danny Korchmar was producing Nico Bolas was the engineer. Mm. We actually had two assistants on, on the, um, on the gig. One was myself and the other was Carl Glanville who ha- has gone on to, you know, work with you two and a, and a lot of great stuff. Uh, so Carl and I were, were at, at that point, some of the main uh, assistant engineers at the hit factory and the right. new building. So when some of the bigger projects were coming in, they would usually, you know, want to put either Carl or myself on it. But this one was like, you know, they wanted to make sure that that Billy was happy. And when I say they, the Germanos, the owners yeah. of the studios. Uh, so they, so we were both on it, and we, you know, made it run as smooth as we could. And it was great. You know, Carl and I are, are, are you know, really good friends, and we worked so great together. Nice. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And this was up on, in Studio One on the top floor. Yeah, Studio One is where we tracked everything um, except for some overdubs we did in Studio Two, which was on the third floor, and then um, and, and then the mixing was done um, mostly in Studio Two. Okay. Yeah. 
Studio Two was a Neve. Yeah, that's right. And that's the that was the two Neves put together. And anyone that's really interested in studios, that was like an an older classic Neve, and it was two of them put together. One side was the actual console that John Lennon used for Double Fantasy. Holy cow! And the other side was of course you know both sides were used for many projects but that was like you know mm, you know and then the other side was um bruce springsteen born to run so so those were the (laughs) those were the two like uh you know legacy uh do you remember what that was it an 80 80 80 68 two 8068s put together wow okay yeah and it sounded beautiful yeah 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 um, all right. I want to keep moving, but, but describe uh, you and I spent so much time in studio one upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course it's, it's gone now, but just take 20, 30 seconds and just describe that room. P- people should go back and, and Google it. Cause that, to me, that was just an astonishing room. Yeah. Uh, 40 foot ceilings, uh, <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful flooring, and and technically pristine i mean it had the like the best technology that there was uh digital machines analog machines there was uh just you know a nice selection of uh iso booths that you could use but you know big enough for an orchestra which we did quite a few orchestras and uh it was just kind of like the best of the best i mean you'd walk in there i remember coming up on that freight elevator you had a freight elevator in the back that you could actually drive a car into. That's right. And come up to the sixth floor and those doors would open up and that, that opened up like into an ISO booth, I think. But then you'd walk into that studio and I mean, it was essentially the size of a basketball court, right? Oh yeah. Easily. It was enormous. And to be in a big open room like that in New York, Midtown, mm-hmm. um, and then the control room, it was a huge control room. Yeah, very big. High ceiling, deep control room. Uh, very, you know, the acoustics in there were amazing. The big, what they have, was it boxers they had in the walls? Yes, yeah. And yeah. the console was a, was a Neve um, v, v, I think it was VSP72. SP because it had the scoring panel. You could do 5.1, 7.1. Right, wow. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll stop geeking out, but that was, <laughs> we, so, so to, uh, uh, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna circle back to Mariah in, in just, just one minute. But, um, is, now is that where Mariah did the Christmas album? Yeah. Well, we could talk about that now because, um, yeah, we did the, the Christmas album there, which was now, this was now the, the fourth time I had worked with Mariah wow. was on the Christmas album. MTV Unplugged was the first. Then Music Box, which is the same thing. I was I was kind of, uh, I wasn't the main assistant on it, but I was be, be filling in several days at a time when people couldn't do it. And then um, the Luther Vandross session doing Endless Love mm-hmm. with Mariah Carey. Uh, those, those three albums were all like a right track hit factory kind of went back and forth those days. And so the the Christmas album was done at the hit factory and that started in early December of 93. Okay. And 
then continued until um, I believe August of 94. So now you'll see there's that overlap. So doing the Christmas album was, I had worked on that in December and in, in January, not every day, but it just came in, you know, here and there it came in. December and January, the beginning, very, very beginning of January. And then we started with Michael. Right. Jackson. Yeah. So that was like the last sessions I was doing before Michael. You know, I, I, I should have, I should have done more homework on this, but I, I forgot that, that that was a total crossover because her Christmas album came out in autumn of 94, right? Yeah. In October 94. Okay. So she had been, she'd been up in studio one right before we arrived. <laughs> That's right. Did we kick yeah. her out? I don't, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. We probably did. <laughs> now, I, but I she wasn't using every day, so yeah, I don't know how you could uh, spend eight months making a Christmas album. No, it, it was on and off. It was on and off, and I had worked on uh, All I Want for Christmas. I know that I worked on uh, Oh Holy, oh, Holy Night. All I Want for Christmas is you, right? Oh Holy right. Night, and uh, I believe a little bit of a Joy to the World as well. And some of the other ones, you know, were just in instrumental stages at one point. So it was difficult to know, you know, some original ones. So, but I definitely know those three that I, I worked on. Okay. All right. And it was, you know, the, the, the studio was done like Christmas and I mean, it was Christmas time, right? Right. <laughs> it, it, during that part in the beginning of it was January and, and December. Okay. So, all right. So you guys did the studio on Christmas you decorated it because because we did the same thing in okay let, let me tell a really quick story so in yeah. like july august of 94 somewhere in there michael wanted to do a christmas song which made no sense we were never going to use it on the album but we hired a set designer to come in and bring in all the fake snow and the sleigh and the fireplace and all that mm -hmm. so had had Mariah did, Mariah did the same thing like six months earlier? Well, yeah, well, we had uh, a tree there and lights. Um, the, the tree wouldn't stay there. The, the tree would just be brought out for that session <laughs> because it would be actually in the studio room. Okay. You know? Right. So the studio had purchased a tree that was just staying there. Yeah, it probably went into like a, a closet ISO booth somewhere when it was right. being used. Okay. Yeah. So so it wasn't the full crazy decorations like we did. No, no, uh, it wasn't for, that crazy. For Michael. Okay, okay. All right. So on on so take me through Mariah's Christmas album. Um Matt Maddie, my daughter asked me, you know, she wants to know what a day in the life of a Mariah Carey session is like. I mean we're I'm curious. I mean, I, yeah. I, I only met Mariah one time and she was actually very sweet and it was a short little 45 second chat, but, uh, but she was actually cool. But yeah. Take, yeah. But what time does she arrive? What, you know, what, what's it like? Yeah, we, we would start uh, us in the studio us engineer types uh, would start earlier, maybe 10 in the morning or so um to get everything ready and you know to really it was to prepare the the vocal setup 
to make sure that was because there were certain things that, that she wanted to have all the time, which are, you know, the normal things like, you know, you have a place that she could put her tea and, and, you know, the honey and possibly some popcorn later. No, she wasn't, she wasn't eating popcorn while she was singing. No, <laughs> but, uh, the blue, but, you, the know, blue, you gotta have the blue bag. Yeah. So, uh, but to, just to make sure the lighting and candles and everything worked, headphones technically worked and the microphone. So we would get that set up because we really didn't know when she would arrive, but it always had to be ready for her just to walk in and, and start singing if that's what she wanted to do. So that was the first thing, get, get technically get everything ready in that regard. And then, and then, you know, the other people would start arriving for, uh, you know, like Walter Afanasiev, who was the producer and co-writer for, you know, a lot of her music would, would arrive. And uh, Dana Jean Chappelle, the main engineer would arrive. And then some of the musicians would arrive. So they would all be arriving before she would get there. Randy right. Jackson was always there. Um, I, that's when I, I kind of really got to know Randy Jackson, who is an incredible storyteller. And I don't, there's just something magical about that guy. He has like, you know, charisma off the chart. Right. Um, he's just so fun to be around. I would always love it when he started telling stories or whatever. His laugh is infectious. It's like, yeah. I couldn't say enough good things about, about Randy Jackson. So, nice. uh, so he would, he'd be playing bass. He was just like, you know, doing that. And then at one part of point we had, uh, Omar Akeem come in, play drums. So it was mm. like this who is who of, of, musicians you know in town but once once you know once people started arriving it was started to get a little bit busy and preparing of what whatever we're going to do that day we never knew what we were doing right that, you know of like okay, what song we're working on what maybe they knew but uh, you know i was never told that it was just <laughs> i was told like the last second put that tape up okay right uh and and then when she arrived she was there most of of the time she would be there because uh, you know, her, Mariah and Walter co-wrote a lot of stuff together. The co-writing was, was not, I didn't see a lot of that. That wasn't really done in the studio. It was done before. They may have been changing some arrangement things in the studio, but the actual song was written before, before the studio sessions. Happened. Okay. And, and, and then we would, work through the music start recording music and and mariah would be there the whole time and then she would want to sing once she started singing it was kind of like clear out the room she really didn't want okay. a lot of people in the room so and, including the producer oh really oh yeah so did you get did you get kicked out yeah a, a lot of the times yes okay so it was a lot just of the times it was just the 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 main engineer, which was uh, Dana Jean Chappelle, or Dana and 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 Mariah had a very very good working relationship with doing vocals. So a lot of the time it would be just the two of them. But the weird part is, you know, I know technically where everything is in the room. If if Dana needed something, if he was like, okay, uh, you know, I need <laughs> whatever this compressor or this, I mean, he I had to do it. He couldn't right. do it. So. Right. It was it was a little strange. I was like completely on standby, like outside the door, yeah, just standing outside the door, at any moment, just in case. Okay. So, and that was a vocal, you know, time. That that was the standard procedure of vocals, right? Mostly just, you know, which you know, 
to me, it didn't make a lot of sense because I could see if it was for uh, an instance where the artist was maybe not a very good singer or didn't have a lot of confidence in their singing. That is completely (laughs) not the case. Mariah is an awesome singer. uh, and, And that never made sense to me that, you know, but the other part would be if it was more of a, 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 like a romantic song and didn't want a lot, have a lot of people around. I, I understand that, you know, but I mean, we're talking Christmas songs. Right. <laughs> right. So, but, but, but you, you know, you, that's what she preferred. So, but you and I both know, I mean, we, we both worked with Michael Jackson a lot. Uh, Michael liked to have the room completely dark. Did, I mean, did, did Mariah sing in pitch black like Michael did? No, it was a little bit more of a vibe, but darker, okay. but it wasn't it wasn't completely pitch black. No. Okay. All right. Uh but even Michael would you know, he we'd keep the key people in the room, but we'd never have like visitors and and uh but Mariah cleared everybody out. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's well, kind of fine. strange to not have the producer there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's what would happen. Okay. And that was that was that was consistent. That's not just on the, the Christmas album. That was, that it had been like that, you know, for years. So if, so if she's in the room and uh, uh, every, everybody else is there, she's not singing, is she telling jokes? Is she kind of the center of attention? Or is she pulled back and just quietly watching? I mean, I think she's naturally just the center of attention anyway because of, who she is she's you know at that point you know she's having a string of number one songs right so of course she's already important even if if uh, i never felt like she was demanding like i'm important i i never really got that that ego that, that sense of ego from mariah and you know i think the people around her boosted that even right. when she wasn't even in the room you right. know they kind of made it you know her more important uh yeah do you know who you're working with yeah kinda. yeah yeah that was that happened a lot and 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 i'm not i'm not trying to put you into a corner or put words in your mouth but in later years in in more recent years we'll say she's you know she's she's definitely kind of taken on the the diva mantle just a little bit um <laughs> would you so you didn't see as much of that back then or do you think that's even overblown now that may have i don't know it may have changed uh a little bit it's hard to say because i worked with her in the like the first half of her career which is kind of fun you know before her marriage during her marriage and after her marriage with uh tommy with tommy right um so i i was there throughout those years so then when you you know, the more recent years, I wasn't really on any of those sessions or those albums. So I can't really say, and I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't think it'd be fair for me to just guess, no, you know, no. I mean, there's that yeah. perception of, yeah, she's more of a diva now, but I, I don't really know if that's, that's true. She wasn't then. Okay. It's funny you mentioned divas though, because I, I did work with her on VH1 divas, the show, that live show. <laughs> In '98, wow! And that was that was um, that was Mariah Carey. Listen to this lineup: Mariah Carey, Shania Twain, 
Celine Dion, Aretha Franklin, Gloria Stefan, and Carol King. Wow. And uh, and that was the only time. I mean, Mariah is a is like super spectacular singer. That was the only time when uh, she sang a "Chain of Fools" as a duet with Aretha. Mm. So it was Aretha Franklin and Mariah Carey, and when Aretha started singing, it was kind of like, okay, wow! It just like it just picked up another notch, right. which you just would not think was possible after Mariah, because Mariah is so great. And, and then to, uh, that was I really felt that when that happened, I was like, wow! I mean, I knew Aretha was amazing, but. Yeah you know to in the same song same moment live on stage you just felt like wow and even mariah was like uh, you know it was a special moment for her too that's awesome one of her you know singing with one of her idols all right so you're working on this song all i want for christmas um yeah. i i you know i have my phone in my hand but i'm not googling anything or anything like that but if i'm not mistaken that's far and away the biggest selling christmas song um I, I could I could yeah. be totally wrong. I, I might check this before I actually yeah. post it. But well, um, yeah, it it the album itself is one of one of the biggest Christmas albums uh, ever. Right. The song of uh, "All I Want for Christmas Is You." It's funny because it was released in '94, but it took all the way until December 2019 to actually be number one like really? each year each year uh, every single year actually since 1994 during christmas time it goes back on the charts but it's like in the top five you know whatever top 10 top five as as a single mm-hmm. um because people you know buy it more and it gets played on the radio of course a lot so that brings it back up the chart but not until last year did it actually hit number one um and so which is actually a, a cool thing about that december of 2019 right it hit number one and it continued to be number one into january 2020 which made mariah the first artist in history to have number ones in four decades the nine the 1990s the 2000s 2010s and the 2020s that's amazing i i did yeah. not know that and, and it's really because of that 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 song all i want for christmas is you because that's what was number one uh you know for the for the 2020s so i mean you're working on that song and you know people have kind of a i shouldn't say a love-hate relationship with that song but um <laughs> i love it i genuinely I do too i do too i think it is I love such it. a cool fun uh flirty uh christmas song um but you're working on it. You've worked on a lot of big songs. But back, did you know this has the potential to just be stratospheric? Well, I, I think you never really know as a guarantee, of course. But you can tell that it's instantly catchy. You right. know, the chorus and all that. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of knew that it was one of those songs that was... Uh, I mean, this was a new song. This was written by her and Walter. 
Um, I don't know if there were other co-writers besides the two of them, but this is a new song. This isn't like Christmas classic, uh, you know, redone right. for a hundredth time. But you're, so, you're in a sense, and you know, some people are going to roll their eyes, but you're hearing a classic being recorded. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for real. It's, that's true. It, it is a classic now. It's, it's yeah, so it, it's an absolute mainstay of you know every. Of course, shopping malls aren't as popular as they used to be, but um, <laughs> every Christmas playlist has that song on it, and that's amazing. Yeah. You know, most of the time when people do a Christmas album, of course, they're going to do a few, you know, brand new songs. Uh, part of that is so they can make more money with with publishing. Sure. Yeah, with, yeah, but yeah. usually uh, they're okay, but they're not great. Yeah. This is not that example. This is where it's like, you know, a new Christmas song and it's really become a new classic. I mean, I, I can't... I, I certainly haven't done any homework, but I, I can't think of any Christmas song in the past 50, 60 years that, that comes close. Yeah, we'd have to go way back to Bing Crosby. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But it's, but it's true. Yeah. I, mean, I can't think as, of any. I as can't far think as of the any. iconic uh, songs in, in the past half century which it's amazing that it's already when you just said four decades, I mean, it's not four full decades. I understand, but, um, but right. that's amazing. Yeah. And you were there. I was there. All right. <laughs> it was so a lot I, of fun doing the, the, the Christmas album, especially it was around that Christmas time. So it's always fun to work on Christmas music at that, you know, magical time of year. Right. All right. Somebody did. Um, somebody asked me to ask a question. So I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Um, would Mariah record most of her backing vocals? Um, and how did you make it? If it was her, how did you make it sound like a choir? And what? And it gets a little, te- gets yeah. a little technical here about what kind of mic was used. Uh, did you use uh, pitch correction, et cetera? So just kind of talk about some of the... Uh, the uh, ins and outs of Mariah's vocals. Sure. Very good question. She uh, did not sing her own background. She would do the lead, the, the background singers, which to me became like a, a kind of a famous backing singer group, which was uh, Melanie Dan- Daniels, Kelly Price, and Cindy Mizell. Those were the three main ones I remember. Um, I know that there was some other people that substituted. Usually we had three singers and they would sing it uh, uh, several times, but the three of them together sang so much together that they were like a very well knit unit. You know, like if you get like a, a choir, that's a church choir, they, they really perform and sing very well together because they are listening to how everyone else is singing. So right. that's how, the, you know, Melanie Kelly and Cindy would sing and uh, Mariah would do the leads. I don't, I don't ever really remember Mariah doing backing vocals. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, it, it could have happened at some, some point, but it's, it was mostly those background singers. And um, I know we use the Sony C800G microphone a lot, especially okay. for the lead vocals. I would, I would imagine the background vocals could have been the same type of microphone. Okay. Yeah. Did the three of them just sing around one mic, do you remember? Or was that like a stereo pair? Mm. 
That's a good question. And I'm not 100% sure. I know that they all sang at the same time. I, if I had to guess, uh, I would think that they would be on their own separate mic just for any kind of control later. Okay. But all I'm right. not 100% on that one. Okay. Um, any pitch correction? Uh, very, very minimal. N- not really. It was like if it wasn't in pitch, just sing it again. Right. It was a different, different time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Mariah is such a great singer that uh, she really didn't need it. Right. And same with the background singers. I mean, the, the background vocalists were, were incredible vocalists as well. So we didn't really need, you know, pitch correction. Okay. If Mariah's going to do the lead vocal on All I Want for Christmas, mm. how, how many takes approximately? Actually, there would be quite a few just because of Mariah being a perfectionist. Okay. <laughs> it may be sounding very good already, but she was always like, I, I can do it better. Okay. And she would do it again. And of course, you know, <laughs> they all sound good. <laughs> you know, maybe sound- in the, and, and then I think at some point she would try experimenting with different, you know, vocal licks, vocal runs and that kind of thing. But so there could, there could definitely be over 20 vocal. Okay. Things. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, again, you and I have done this many times. Uh, I've just never been a part of it on a Mariah session, but you've got 20 takes of lead vocal. Now you're going to uh, comp or, or, you know, choose those vocals. How take people just kind of briefly through that process and how intricate it is on one of her vocals. Yeah. So let's just say there's 20, just for the example. That's where Walter would then come back in. Uh, Walter Afanasiev, who would be the producer and co-writer on some songs. Um, Awesome arranger, instrumentally too. So he would be making choices, and, and Mariah, and they would listen to one take at a time and write notes, and then then they would compare notes of, you know, this this line is, you know, a 10, this one's an eight, this one's a seven, you know, they're just kind of, however they did their note taking. And then they would compare and see which ones they liked best. And, you know, maybe there are two or three to listen again. And then they would just kind of be built. The, the, the vocal comp would be built with that line, you know, the line from uh, take three, and then the next line is from take seven, and then the next two lines are from take, you know, three again. So then it would be built like that. No. So pretty standard, but it was it was uh, still not a lot of people in the room at that point, but okay. at least the producer was back there. <laughs> right. So on a, and I keep comparing it to Michael Jackson, just because you and I spent so much time with Michael. Right. On a, on a Michael vocal comp, you're, you're sometimes almost splitting words and splitting mm-hmm. phrases. And it's, it's a tight, uh, pretty complex vocal of, you know, take seven, take nine, take two, take six, take nine. Um, on Mariah, it was more like the whole lines would be a bit more. From from uh, the sessions that I was on that I remember, it was taking more like a lot or, or a half a phrase or, or a full phrase here or there. But then after that process was done, then then Walter would get a little bit more nitpicky. Okay. And he would you know, if there was something like, uh, that, you know, that one word 
could be a little bit better from this take, he would then start getting a little bit more technical. Okay. After right. after the main frame of the vocal comp was done. Okay. So uh, again, just for people that uh, you know really aren't in in this industry, when you hear the lead vocal of "All I Want for Christmas Is for You," you're probably hearing approximately twenty vocal takes, and you're probably hearing several dozen switches from take six to take eleven. Yeah, switching back and forth to the to the best of the best. Okay, no. of her performances. Yeah. All right, just curious. Um. All right, and when she's singing, she's got her hot tea, she's got a Christmas tree, the lights are kind of dim. No one is in the room except the engineer, and uh, she's going to sing for a couple hours, and you're kind of standing <laughs> behind the door waiting for uh, to, to be summoned. Yes. Okay. That's right. All right. Um, and you knew it's Mariah. You know it's going to be a big album but uh in fact i might even just google it just for fun here but did you know i mean i I know i'm sort of repeating myself but this thing was just monstrous i mean did you have a clue that it was going to be that big no i I don't think so Uh, you know that one song all i want for christmas is you of course i knew like wow that's a very catchy song i knew that that was instantly like uh a good one you know um and of course when it came to like joy to the world where it got a little bit more um of the you know clavellis and cole which was part of cnc music factory at that uh, at that point they were involved with joy to the world a bit with with you know giving more of a dance remix kind of thing i thought that was kind of cool too it was like different take on some things right so uh in that respect you know i thought the it was being done very well and, and very true to Mariah as like her style. So I thought that was very cool. You know, as we were doing it, I, that, those were kind of things that I was thinking about. Okay. But I don't think anyone really knew like, you know, how big it was actually going to be. I know that, that the song, All I Want for Christmas is You is the best selling single in Japan. Right. I mean, that's. I mean, they just love this album in Japan. It's the best-selling single ever in Japan. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I believe that is correct. Okay. It. Um, uh, I. I. I mean, I think that's correct. Okay. No, I it's believe either you. that or the best-selling English-speaking single, but I think it might be the biggest-selling single in Japan. Wow. I mean, I'm just. I'm. I'm. You know, w- Wikipedia never lies but I'm just kind of skimming some, uh, it looks like it sold 15 million copies worldwide. It's uh, eight, eight times platinum. It's an amazing album. Any other uh, final thoughts or stories about working with Mariah? Well, you had mentioned, of course, Studio One with that freight elevator. Uh, I'd worked on Daydream and that freight elevator, if you remember the the cover of that single is mariah carey and boys to men in that elevator right that's that's the yeah i do remember that so that's with the gate up them actually in the elevator um they came in now and and this happened just uh kind of just after the michael jackson session this happened in february of 1995 uh they came in it was actually very 
quick. I think they were uh, possibly in the middle of a tour. Um, you know, Mariah was busy with dates as well. So the, the you know, they came in to do the, the video and then we recorded it all right there in Studio One. So the actual video for One Sweet Day was done in Studio One at the Hit Factory. Okay. The same room that, that we did the Mariah, you know, the, the Merry Christmas album in. Right. You know, and other things that we've been talking about. Okay, now, now I got to go back and watch that video again and uh, see if I, you know, you should really like rent yourself out instead of a DJ to the uh, the people that own uh, apartments now at 421 West 54th. You could just go there and say, all right, I'm going to tell stories. You know, it's 500 bucks an hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is where Mariah came in. And I, I, I just hate that that studio is gone. But, I know. Um, There's so much history there. Yeah. Um, speaking of, just just one or two more quick questions just about recording studios what what is your what's your favorite studio past or present that that you've either been to or worked in uh are you talking about a, an actual room like specific room yeah i mean just just a room where you walk in and it's i mean a recording studio that yeah just has a really cool vibe to it yeah well I mean, I think one of my favorites would be uh, the Hit Factory Studio 4 with the wraparound SSL for mixing. That room always sounded great for mixing and was like very unique with that elliptical kind of vibe. That was a very cool room. But if I was going to talk about recording, I would say uh, United Recording Studio B. That... Uh, and that's in Los Angeles and Hollywood. That's my favorite tracking room, for, you know, for recording a band uh, out of anything that I've been in. The, the vibe is a great vibe. The gear is amazing. Um, the microphone collection is really good for, you know, when I'm choosing what microphones I want to use. And, you know, and the, and the people are very competent. So right. and all that's those like, things together are are just like the best. I mean, isn't that like the, that's like the Bing Crosby room, right? Uh, yes. There, and, and also Frank Sinatra had done some things there and uh, some of the Beach Boys stuff. Uh, I worked with Paul McCartney in that room for a few days. Um, a lot of has been done there. Okay. Yeah. Is Count there... Basie. <laughs> wow. Now, yeah. And, and, and not to get all weird on you, but um, is there a room that you've walked in where you can just like feel, you know, there, there, there's just a, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. And so I'm, I guess I'm going to get weird on you. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I was at Abbey road a year and a half ago um, in London and I was actually teaching at, at their, at the Abbey road Institute. Um, but they, you know, they're like, I get here a couple hours early and we'll give you a tour. And I'm like, okay. You know, so I'm there like at 6am, you know, banging on the door. And when you go into, uh, forgive me, it's either Studio Two or Studio B, the you know the Beatles room. Have, have yeah, you Studio there? Two. Yeah. Have you yeah. been there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm agreeing with your story so far. That room is magical. Yeah, you walk in, and I swear you can feel something. Um, mm. It's just there's something there that that it's it's amazing. So, to me, that's one of the cool things. Um, so, you've been to that room. What what other I don't want to steal your thunder, but yeah, you know, I, I 
it, it's a good point that I, I, for me personally, I always love the, the history of what's happened in that room or the equipment. And that's kind of like that with, with United Recording with like Studio B when you, it wasn't like an instant, you know, feeling that I got, but you kind of start thinking of who's been in that room. I know it. And the room hasn't changed that much. Right. Uh, And then you, you know, you're thinking about, uh, you know, when I I was at like Capitol Studios doing some sessions there and you think of the, you know, the actual microphone you know, who, who has actually used this? And, you know, right. I was at Sunset Sound recently and, you know, the microphone that the Rolling Stones, uh, you know, have used and, and some of the, uh, you know, the Doors and Van Halen and Led Zeppelin have done, been done in that place. Right. So you start thinking, is that microphone right there that's in my <laughs> hand? Like the one that was used on Led Zeppelin, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of history to me is... Um, I feel like it gets lost in time. There's some people that kind of keep up with it, but I think a lot of that information is just in a vault somewhere and people think that it's not important or right. In terms of who's been in what, you know, studio, like, you know, is one thing, but who has been in the exact room or the actual console that's there. Right. Or, you know, some of the more famous vocal microphones who like, you know, is this the exact microphone that Frank Sinatra used? <laughs> it, those are very cool things that I feel like that information is, is there somewhere, but gets a little lost. But I love that stuff. I mean, see, I would read books on that, <laughs> you know. But see, I know, I, and I, I do too. I, I, I love it. But I, what I also love is that those mics are still being used. Oh, I don't, yeah. I don't want them to be in a glass case mm-hmm. in the Smithsonian and you have to spend $20. I, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I, it's I only want $15. Okay. I'm no, sorry. It's not, uh, but <laughs> I like the fact exactly what you're saying. I love yeah. walking into a studio and it's like, you know, maybe this is the mic <laughs> and now you're going to use it, you know, with, with Chick Corea or whoever. I think yeah. that's cool. I, I yeah. I, you know, and as long as they're maintained, you know, and, and you know, we just lost Bruce Swedeen, uh mm. tragically just just a few weeks ago. Bruce has an amazing collection of microphones and, and that I've touched and I've set up for, for yeah. you know, everyone from Miles Davis to Michael Jackson. And uh and I love that. I love that they're still in use. Yeah, I think it's important. I, I agree that that it just doesn't go in a museum somewhere. Just like, you know, famous guitars that are just like sitting in a museum and not being played anymore. I feel like they should yes. just keep being played and being used and recorded. And yeah, I agree. Those those microphones and all of that should just continue to be used. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, you're awesome. I think the world of you. Um, I can't thank you enough for, for hanging out uh, and doing this with me. Thanks. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Anytime. I love this. So so we're going to do it again. Um, We've got about 8,000 more stories, uh, but I want this one to really be on Mariah. And uh, and, any final thoughts on Mariah? Well, I mean, I have so many stories. (laughs) Well, you can't do it now. (laughs) Give give me one more. Give me a closer. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Two good ones. Okay. uh, Let's do it with one. 
uh, I was walk I was walking down the, the the street with with one of the people that I worked with at Sony, and um, and this limousine you know le- leaves the the building, and the window rolls down, and Mariah like stretches her neck out the window. Hey, Brian. I and then, and then the limousine just like you know pulls away. And you're a freaking and, rock star. And, and then, <laughs> that's awesome. Like, okay, this first this never happens. I mean, that just does not happen. You know. Right. So so my friend uh, next to me, I think it might have been my friend, my friend Ron, was just like, "What? Like, what was that? <laughs> was that Mariah?" And I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "And she's saying hello to you out the window." You know. <laughs> that's awesome yeah that just happened you know (laughs) that's my 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 brother when i would tell him people i worked with or whatever kind of his uh his uh litmus test or whatever was okay but did they call you by your first name (laughs) that's sort of like if they knew your name then it's legit but if it's just you can you bring me something All right, you said you had two, so I get one more. All right, all right. Okay, so we were uh, recording, uh, it was for the song Fantasy, and we and um, Mariah wasn't there, but uh, Old Dirty Bastard came in. He was going to do his, you know, beginning, famous beginning bit in the song. Um, I believe Puffy was there because he was the, the producer um, on this remix part. And, you know, old dirty bastard comes in and he's, I'm like, when are we going to start? You know, it was already late at night. And I was like, okay, when are we going to start? He's like drinking, smoking. And you know, so I'm like, Oh man, it's like, you know, one of those, you know? right. It's just like smoking, smoking, more smoking. Right. Like, Oh, good grief. You know, finally he's just like smoked out of his head. He goes in and, and then, you know, starts doing like a mic test. I'm like, Oh man, his like voice is so raspy. Right. I'm like, right. oh, this, this is, this is just like not gonna work, but or whatever, you know. And then he starts, you know, New York's in the house, you know, Japan's in the house, and all that. You know, <laughs> you know, he just keeps going, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, me and Mariah go back like kids with pacifiers and all that kind of. You know, it's like going on. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> so, so we spend like maybe. I don't know. He only did it a couple times. He didn't do it that much. Right. And then we, then we called, you know, Mariah on the phone, on speakerphone, blasted it and wanted to see what she thought. So she's on the other end of the phone and, and we're like, you know, blasting it, of course. Um, and, and everyone's loving it. <laughs> I'm just like, what is going to happen here? And, um, and she loved it actually. She was like wow. screaming on, she was like screaming on the other side of the phone, you know, it was just like, <laughs> She she loved it, that's and, awesome. so, and so uh, it was cool. Um, and that's know, what you know, stayed. And that's what stayed. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, whenever I hear that, you know his his vocal performance on that song, all I can think of is just like all the smoke and you know <laughs> his voice is just so raspy and dry. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> it worked. It was the right. It worked. It was the right combination. Yep. All right, man. It's been a pleasure. Um, Stay safe. Hope to see you soon. I I hope all this stuff settles down and we can uh, uh, do it in person. Do it in person. Hopefully next summer. (laughs) Sounds good, Brad. All right, Bibberts. Take care. Appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. Bye now.